Taj, when I asked him, he said, I wouldn't change a thing about declining my place on the tour. I was 17, didn't feel ready to commit to the big boys tour yet. I think Katie should absolutely just cruise and enjoy being a 15-year-old. No need to rush into the tour. She surfs so good and will qualify whenever she wishes. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week, Stab's Editor-in-Chief, Mr. Brendan Buckley and myself will be covering off the resurgence of performance surfboards, Kelly Slater's life-saving, another one, vaccinations briefly, we talk about Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy, we also talk about John John Florence's plans to steal some crypto from the free surf world and Stab's upcoming Edit of the Year competition and of course the surf scene. After that, the Stab cusp team, Mikey and Stace, discuss the champs at the US Open and what it means for the tour year. Of course, this is the first year of the new format where only four championship tour events will decide who qualifies for the tour. So every one of those comps is really significant and we're one down. They also cover the influence of stab ladybirds on Katie Simmons, the US Open champ, roundtail grovelers, and a little preview into the next championship tour event in Portugal. But for now, let's catch up on the week's surf news with Big Dick Power Surfer. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not. I'm not overly happy with the moon right now. The I'm moon. Not, I can't say. Yeah, the moon. I woke up real early to surf today, and you know the tides here are just massive, and I knew it was gonna be a battle against this high tide. But it just sucks when you know it was firing right before there was daylight, and then it's just getting progressively worse. It's a tough enemy, though. The moon, isn't it? It, uh, I wouldn't say it ruined my morning, but it, it took some joy, potential joy out of it. It was just getting warbly and you could just feel, I fucking hate the feeling of waves dying. Like I would rather paddle out in just shitty, consistent waves and like have that feeling of like, it's getting worse and worse by the minute. And like, there's going to be a point where another good wave just doesn't break. Like that really messes with my head. Did you manage to slip under the blue curtain? I did, but not in a very spectacular way. Oh, not in a way that I'd uh, woke up this morning hoping to. The Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. All right, the number one story in the globe right now is that high-performance surfboards are fucking back. Yeah. We published a 3,000-word manifesto that got the dimensions of 30 surfers, got advice from six different high-performance shapers, and we're back. We're back. If you've strayed into some alternative pastures, this is your time to... Get back. You know, we're thrusting on the streets from Beards to Byron Bay right now, and we are back. Yeah, so Jeremy Blake wrote this story, and it was just an odyssey. I couldn't believe it. It just kept going and going and going, and he must have researched this thing for years, it feels like, the amount of surfers and shapers that he spoke to. It's such a fascinating story, and I think for me, I've never heard anyone bridge the gap between performance surfboards as it relates to the best surfers in the world and the best shapers and and what that means for the everyday surfer. No one's bridged that gap better than this article. It's it's a fucking enthralling read. And anyone who's going to buy a surfboard ever again should make sure that they spend the time to read it because it's it's actually pretty enlightening. It is. And I think one of the nicer things about it is that Jeremy is a self-described illiterate firefighter. <laughs> and so if you're worried about it sounding a little bit too techy or not really being relatable, uh, this is a, 
a middle-aged, uh, self-described illiterate firefighter who wrote this odyssey for us. So he does, to your point, like he does take that information and instead of getting into like super specific stuff that might trip your head out, he does bridge that gap and take that like, okay, here's what the best of the best are doing and thinking. Here's how you could use that to your advantage and surf your best. So in the recent Surf 100, Britt Merrick had a, a little profile piece in there where he's talking, he prophesizes the return of the performance shortboard. Performance boards are the least popular and demanded boards on the market. <laughs> Which sucks because they're the boards that interest me the most. I mean, it's pretty easy to make like cruiser boards that work well. That's not a hard thing to do, but to make a really good performance board is like the hardest thing in the world. That's what we want to advance are those boards, but it's the least amount of boards that we sell. I mean, alternative boards definitely outsell performance boards. But I don't think it's always going to be that way. It's coming back. <laughs> what do you think about that? I think that things evolved the way that they did for a reason, right? Like, there, it's not by mistake that we ended up with the high-performance shapes that we have today. And it's definitely not a mistake that pretty much every single person who's trying to do the most exciting things on a surfboard is riding some version of this shape. Uh, so yeah, and I do think there's something in like, I get it, sometimes you just wanna go out and cruise and you're not like in this mood where you wanna try to bring out your best or whatever it is, but you're fucking lying if you say that you don't want to surf good, right? Like if you know you have the ability to like rip into a turn, I can't see how you could get a tremendous amount of joy out of like just drawing a mellow line. Yeah, maybe on this the right day or whatever, but like a long-term satisfaction with like knowing you're capable of like whipping a board around and just being like content cruising. Uh, yeah, I don't think that will stick around. But the one thing that trips me out is I feel like maybe it's just the times that we live in, identity politics, all that shit, but I feel like there's never been more of a of this like surfboard identity complex. Hmm. Like it's worse for me in the summer, but I have a, I have a JS monster box, uh, epoxy construction. So it's got like the black rails. It's pretty much like exactly what you think when you think of like high performance surfboard guy in 2021. And I swear there are sessions or at certain times a year, maybe certain waves where I'm like, Oh my God, I probably look like the most serious person in the world. Like it's almost like you have to, you have to, shift into the identity of your surfboard. And I feel like you see a lot of that with like people with on the more fun boards, you know, they got the crazy retro fish and a van, a long hair. It's like people never have before we've been so has identity be so been so tied to surfboards, I think. I always bring up this quote that Greg Weber had in a stab magazine back in 2004 in an interview. He said, the ultimate surfboard is the most uncool surfboard in the world, the Mini Mal. I'm not a hugely talented surfer, but I rode a 7.6 Mini Mal during a cyclone swell on Noosa Points. I was taking off better than the Mal's and carving with more fury than any of the shortboarders. Trouble is, there's no good surfers who have the self-confidence to ride the most uncool board in the world. How typical of humans. And so I feel like what you're saying about surfboards relating to like personality is so true, but it works on so many like varying levels, you know, like how many people are suffering through a board that they don't surf well enough or they don't surf well enough to ride 
when they could be having way more fun on a board that's, you know, way more generous in foam? Well, two things there. One, I mean, I think he's a brilliant guy, but anytime somebody is quoted saying they're carving with more fury than, what do you say, the good shortboard or something, I just, I'm a little bit skeptical with a line like that, let's be honest, you know, carving with more fury. Let's just tone it down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yep. And second thing is we actually, so a few months ago, we did a story on Stab Premium. I interviewed Matt Parker of Album Surfboards. And as part of that story, I gave our premium members a chance to win a custom board by him. All you had to do to win was tell us about the favorite board, your favorite board of your life. And we got over 500 people to answer that question. Then we realized that we were sitting on a bit of a gold mine there with some really good information. So we had a writer, Mitchell Shepard, dig through all of that to try to find some common threads and then pair that with another little interview with Matt and Thomas of Thomas Surfboards. What's that guy's name? Thomas Bexon. Thomas Bexon, yeah, sorry. Matt actually says that it's super similar to the quote that you shared. And what Matt said is that he always tells people to think about what they would ride if they showed up to the beach and nobody was around. They hmm. have... They don't have to be worried about getting judged by other people. They don't have to hold up some reputation of their friends. Like, what would you literally have the most fun on? And it is there's obviously a side to that, too. I think I'd still probably have most fun on a, a pretty high-performance board. But I do see the merit in that way of thinking. And that piece is also another good read. If, if you're a little bit freaked out about all this thruster talk, then go read that one because it'll probably push you the other way and make you order an even more alternative board or not. Maybe you'll find some middle ground, but I look at those pieces almost like a, a little yin and yang, you know, whatever your, your philosophy is, you'll find some value in either of them or hopefully both. I guess the common thread in both those articles is that it's about being realistic. A lot of things that come up is be realistic about your ability. And then obviously about the waves you're going to surf it for the most part, like don't order a board for the waves you're going to get five days a year, order the board that you're going to get for waves you're going to surf, you know, 200 days out of the year. Obviously have a board ready for those five though. Don't slip. Yep. <laughs> there's that, there's that side of that article that Jezza Blake wrote, but there's also, there's a whole other, just so many chunks of gold in there. I mean, he, he went through and, and got the dimensions for just about every pro surfer alive today and match that up with their height and weight. And, and then there was just little, and so that's just fascinating in itself, just to see how big a boards people are riding and what their step up is and, and just that detail in the article. But then as well as that, I mean, little insights about how John John's board doesn't get bigger. When the surf gets bigger, he just has a different outline. And so he's got basically two models that he'll swap between and when a wave's are average size to like getting a bit getting a bit bigger, whereas people who jump on a step up, which is normally longer, he's just he just changes models and it's different different outline, concave and tail design. I think so. That's just that shit was fascinating. I didn't know that. Oh, that's truly fascinating. I was tripping on that too, especially because I like having more foam when there's it gets colder here and you're in a lot of rubber, and I just having a little bit more foam under your chest makes it so much easier to be in the spot. 
And so when I saw that about John John, I kind of got bummed on myself. I was like, oh man, am I supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the piece is full of little bits like that too, things that like you learn that aren't even just little nuggets of wisdom almost. He even talks to, with the six shapers I talks to, he asks all of them what the biggest mistake people make when ordering a board is. So it's just loaded up with, with some really powerful information. Give them a read and then uh, purchase irresponsibly. <laughs> That's good advice. Yes. The Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. Next up, we have the U.S. Open to Surfing. Champions have been crowned, and the Cusp guys are going to get into this in detail. I just have a few points to bring up before they do, because I don't think they're going to address these. A rant that I've been wanting to go on for a while is against the word open. In no way are these contests open. It just fucking pisses me off. I guess it like came from tennis and golf. I never thought of that. These contests are also not open, and there's just nothing open about any of these U.S. Open of Golf, U.S. Open of Tennis. I went so far as to look it up today and was reading about the first ever U.S. Open of Golf where I guess anybody could enter, and like 10 people did, some English guy won over 100 years ago. And I think we're still calling, for some reason, that because that happened, we're calling a completely elite contest that is not open to anybody in Huntington Beach in 2021, we're still calling it the U.S. Open of Surfing for just no fucking reason. Well, we've seen the success of the rebrand of the Mini Mal to the mid-length, and that's just taking off leaps and bounds and sales are through the roof. What can, how, what can we, how can we rebrand the U.S. Open with a more appropriate name? Well, most other surf contests, professional surf contests, are fittingly called pro. You know, uh-huh. you have the the... Tahiti Pro, Surf Ranch Pro, whatever it is. Um, I think the Corona ones, they like to call it open because it's like, ooh, Corona, like open your beer, I guess. I don't know. Also not open. These are very limited contests. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort to get there. So the US Pro, is that what you're pitching here? Just call it the US Pro. I'm just done with this open thing for things that are so very close to the general public. Yeah, okay, the US Pro. It just doesn't sound very good. Oh, you know what? What about, didn't it used to be called the OP Pro? Ah, uh, yeah, we switch switch up the order. Current well. and Aki would battle, so it was a pro. Just get OP. All you have to do is revive a dead surf company. <laughs> yes, and there's our solution. I like that. That's good. Everyone wins. OP Pro has a good ring. We got any, got any other anger you hold towards the U.S. Open? My only other note on that is I heard that Stace, one of the cusp guys, got both of the winners right. Which yeah, that's pretty impressive. Is impressive. Yeah. But I did have to add that uh, many people on the streets are saying that it's not quite as impressive as me picking Gabriel Medina for the WSL final. Um, going out on a limb there and saying that. So good job, Stace. But, you yeah. know, if you want to come to the big leagues, you know where I'm at. Yeah, you really did go out on a limb there. Yeah, yeah. I risked everything for that one. The Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. Kelly Slater saved Harry Potter's life. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw this story, but my understanding is that I'm not he sure if that's saved, an accurate headline, but yeah. I, I, th- I think I'm understanding it correctly, and it's that he saved Harry Potter's life as well as the entire franchise of the books, everything. Um, did you happen to see this story, Danny? Yeah, I saw this story. Tom Felton, one of the Harry Potter's actors, Harry, one of the actors from Harry Potter, he, he passed out on a golf course and then Slats just swooped in and just almost romantically rolled him over into the recovery position. Is that, is that correct? That is correct, yes. 
Man, sometimes I feel so detached from pop culture because when I saw this story, the Instagram thing was embedded in there. And so I've, oh, he's, he's written a song about his experience and I clicked on it. Don't you love it because Tom will be doing fine. And I was like, oh, I wonder how famous this guy is. 10.9 million followers. I've never heard of him in my life. I had a really similar experience. Are, are you like a Harry Potter? Have you seen the movies, the books? Have you done No, I mean, I think thing? I saw one of the movies, but I'm not super up to speed with the Harry Potter whole thing. I, was, I wasn't sure if you would be or wouldn't, but I guess this guy, this Tom Felton fellow who we didn't know about, I don't know if I'm going to say his name right, but Draco Malfoy is apparently his character name. And I thought maybe you would know, but doesn't that just sound like a villain? Like there's no way this guy isn't a villain in the, in the Harry Potter series, right? Draco Malfoy. Yeah, no, he's definitely villainous. a villain. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why Kelly saves him. He's clearly evil. Yeah. Hey, you know, so, this isn't the first time that Kelly's saved a life. Oh, oh, nor will be the last. <laughs> do, do you remember there was a story a few years ago, there's a West Australian photographer and filmmaker named Chris White. He was a bodyboarder, made all these movies called Tension back in the day. Anyway, he was in Hawaii with his wife and young baby and a wave washed. He wasn't there at the time, but his wife and baby were walking across this road and a wave washed... Um, washed across she was running wearing headphones didn't see it coming and didn't hear it coming and then it just it took her it actually took her baby and who was first on the scene slats right there ready to save the day so this is his second life he saved that i know of i mean who knows how many other countless lives he saved i remember that story from hawaii and this will not be the last i mean especially with this whole ayahuasca thing going he oh, probably's yeah. got some connections kind of on the other side of things and you should not be surprised when Kelly Slater saves a life and it's only going to be happening more and more now with this ayahuasca thing, I think. So this is just the new, the new normal. Is he, is he in a net positive though? Cause what about all these unscientific takes on, on vaccination and things like that? I think he might be, I think he might be uh, costing some lives there uh, potentially given his, his international influence. So I don't know where we stand here. He's got two, two saved potential, infinite more potentially saved given ayahuasca uh, influence, but then misinformation on vaccines and unscientific takes. I don't know. Yeah, he has a bit of a deficit there, but, you know, historically he's shown that he is a momentum surfer um, in terms of the momentum movie and in his career in heats. So he's got the ball rolling. He's got, he's got things going after this Tom Felton save. So, I'd say look for him to go on a tear in the next few months and just start saving everybody. Yeah, he likes to do things in 11s, so I, I dare say he'll he'll uh, he won't stop at two. Yeah, so he'll probably come at start chipping away at that vax deficit and uh, see where it takes him. Talking about vaccines, and it's you know talking about it kind of somewhat lightheartedly, even though very very confused about Kelly Slater's take on it Jake Embry uh, a stab contributor wrote an incredible story about the lack of pro-vaccination um, voices in pro surfing and a really measured at what it looks like to be a, a pro surfer traveling and and the vaccination status and also the WSL's take on that and that story is currently on the site if anyone's interested it's currently got about four billion comments because this topic tends to fire <laughs> people up that's a good point. That story, that was interesting. 
um, when we, so basically when Gabriel announced on Fortnite that he was pulling out of Tahiti because he wasn't vaxxed and the quarantine situation for unvaccinated travelers in Tahiti would have made it impossible because the Mexico window butted right up against the Tahiti window. Uh, we covered that because that was huge news. And then we'd also done a story about, before that we did a story about that whole tight window on how there were some unvaccinated surfers that might have to pull out because of it. Uh, and in those stories, my belief was that we should just report on what's happening and Stab not being a medical outlet shouldn't really try to take a side on this because I just it felt like way out of a wheelhouse to me. Jake had a really good point in that just shining a light on those stories, which were, you know, at the core of it against the vaccine and not saying anything else at all was wrong. It was just mm. throwing the kind of conversation out of balance. Even if we didn't take a side, just highlighting things on the one side of it is just sharing information about one side of it. And there is obviously a, a completely other side, which 80% of at least uh, our Instagram poll said 80% of the people are, are vaccinated or going to get it. Um, it, it just, if you look at any surf comment thread right now, besides that one on sad premium, thankfully, uh, it appears as though the entire surf community is anti-vax. Yeah. Uh, and that's just very much not the case. And Jake wrote us a really nice piece, just kind of uh, breaking that down and explaining why it's important to hear both sides. And it's great. The Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. Next up, John John Florence is in on the stab edit of the year. Uh, we announced the stab edit of the year on this podcast last week. And... Much to our delight, when we dropped the news on the website and on Instagram earlier this week, John John Florence was one of the first pro surfers to post a little something. He posted a really nice slow-mo clip and said, just kind of dropping some stuff before I focus on my stab out of the year part. So warning shot has been fired from who many consider to be the greatest surfer on the planet right now. Imagine being a surfer and being like, oh, yes, I'm going to enter this editor of the year competition and then John who you never really know what he's going to do so early on in the competition like we it was it was at the same day we announced it or like a couple of days later it was so early on he just he puts that out there on the internet that's got to we might actually want to shift this to just John John Florence wins the 2022 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. of the year competition yeah, yeah it's it's the best thing that could possibly happen is to have now that John John's in, I think everyone who wants to test themselves against the best has the opportunity to do it. But an even better thing that could happen for this competition now, because this is the dream, John John's decided he's, he's made his intent known that he's going to enter. But even better than that would be now if Medina, who doesn't even film movie parts and ever release edits, decided to now enter and compete against John in the edit of the year. You know what would be great if that? if that happens and it's say John drops something early. You know we're breaking it into quarters. Say John drops it in the first quarter of our stab out of the year calendar. And if Medina just swoops in last minute and steals his song again like he did <laughs> yeah. with that song from space and just drops something in the fourth quarter that, that comes in and wins, that's exactly. the move. Exactly. What was that what was that song he did like he stole off John last time? How did you describe that? 
uh, pastoral yelling. Pastoral yelling. It was just, just kind of hip hop, but then some guy yelling about Jesus. You can get your job out. You can get your career out. You can get your health out. You can get your prosperity out. If you can get your mind out, no devil in hell, no weapon formed against you, no enemy that hates you. It's no really not, not your everyday, what you hear when you go down on a Sunday drive and flick the radio on. There's no one that doesn't need a Bitcoin more than John John Florence in the surf world. <laughs> so that side of it would be a little bit disappointing, but it's so good that he's, he's let his intentions be known and that he's, he's going to enter. Who else, Buck, do you, do you see laying down some tape on this thing? I would guess pretty much every surfer that you've seen consistently put out video parts in the past few years will be in on this. And so I have talked to some people that before we, we launched it, I talked to some people and just wanted to sense check the idea and everything. Like I talked to Albie Lair about it, I talked to Kel Walsh, just got some different opinions and everybody seemed to be in love with the idea. And I think, I think surf, whatever you want to call them, surf edits, video parts, I think there's just such a, such a warm place in our hearts for those things still. Like if you're a premium member, I'm going to email you this weekend about my favorite surf part of all time, which I like to think would resonate with some other people as well. But it's just hard seeing like A plus clips get burned on Instagram or tucked into vlogs. And I think that like putting them in a way that you could just revisit and access and almost like kind of cataloging them in a way will mean a lot to a lot of people that just like to watch some really good surfing and get get fired up like to be honest i have some friends that that subscribe to stab but they don't watch any of our longer form stuff like they don't even care about stab in the dark they literally just want to watch good surfing and good music and that's it and so to be able to create that for people i think is going to be or create a home for that and give people a way to follow it all year long i think will be a really cool thing yeah, it gives them a it gives them a framework to exist in and a reason to exist in a way that means they're not as fleeting as well. Like I feel like these edits are now going to be talked about longer and, and rewatched, and they'll and they'll be relevant over a whole entire year, and they'll be given context in that way. Whereas now, it it is a little, it, it can't help but just get a little nihilistic and just like nothing matters or has any effect when you just throw a a web clip out there into the ether and then it just floats away. And even if it has a big impact initially, like they're so, they're so often forgotten and it's very, there's very few that we remember. So the fact that this is going to be like a little capsule, you know, these edits are, are going to exist and people are going to get competitive and, you know, because people used to compete for the last part in all the best movies, whether it's Taylor Steele movie or a Kai Neville movie, the, be- the last part was, you know, was a world title in itself and this is going to be, even more official than that. So at a time when they're one foot in the grave, it's it's pretty great to to be bringing them back because otherwise they, other than you know a few people, they 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 seem to be kind of fading away. So it's good. It's very it's very good. I'm just patting ourselves on the back right now. It's really good. We are we're just, doing. Just, just stroking it. <laughs> the Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. Lastly, let's talk about Stab Highway. Presented by Monster Energy again. Um, yeah, I'm going to start just by asking you a question. I heard that you had a sleepover one night during the the filming of this project. Yeah, on the, it was actually the first night. We we did the first day of challenges. 
And then we ended up in my hometown. Actually, three of the four teams that were on the road ended up in my hometown and one of the teams crashed at my house. And um, yeah, it was a, you know that energy at the start of a trip? Where it oh, was yeah. just like, it, and then everyone's at the pub, everyone end up, end up at the pub together that's just down the road from my house. And it was just like, felt like there was just a million people there. And yeah, it was pretty hilarious. And then it ended up, the party ended up back at my house that night. And I kind of peeled out and went to bed at like, I don't even know what time it was, like one or something. And I, I woke up to Pierce at like two in the morning. And then one of the challenges <laughs> was a haircut challenge that had to happen in the first 48 hours of the trip. And I walk out to do a Pierce and there's like Sean Manners, who's in the middle of the wetsuit competition because one, one, one of the challenges is to see who can go <laughs> the longest while wearing a wetsuit, like just not taking it off. So he's standing there in my living room uh, in his wetsuit, uh, wasted with clippers uh, shaving Noah Dean's head who was also wasted. And then of course I had to wake the filmers up because nothing obviously counts unless you film it. Yeah. And it's four points straight up. Fucking four points, lads. Why sleep when you can get four points? Thanks, G. No worries, bro. Fuck yeah. Yeah, you know it was funny actually? In the morning, Jaleesa Vincent, who was one of the surfers on their team, I remember she like grabbed all Noah's hair and picked it up and goes, oh, hair's good for the garden. And I was just remember going, that can't be true. And then like every day I walk past my garden and just see Noah's hair just like sitting in this giant mop of gross hair just sitting in my, in my garden. And the garden's not doing any better? The, the hair doesn't decompose. It's, it hasn't changed at all. It's, it's still glistening. It's got body and bounce. Can we bury the hair? Would that do anything? <laughs> I don't know. Would that clone a Noah Dean? Would a Noah Dean tree grow in my backyard? I'm not a biologist, but yeah, I think it would. <laughs> Good luck growing a Noah Dean in your garden. And I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing Stab Highway drop. The Americans and Russians are thinking of landing men on it. Oh, well, that will never happen. All right. It is surfs in time, folks. Uh, a little update here. Jimmy Wilson, who confessed last week, I received a message from him saying that he is going for Slater. He is confident that he could at the very least get Coco Ho to refresh Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's sin was he went on a trip a few years ago and did not catch one wave the entire trip, which was the only time he's ever done that and he still regrets it. He was in Peru and apparently the wave is pretty good. So he's been living with regret for years. He confessed that and we gave him the, I always forget a word. The penance. The penance. We, we gave him the penance of flipping the script and having a pro surfer take some photo or video of him. We said he should shoot for Kelly Slater. He does have a good relationship with Kelly and he's going to go for that, but he's sure at the very least he can get Coco to step behind a lens for a little bit and snap some photos of him. So we'll have to cover that. Uh, that's too good of a story to avoid. Oh, but, I can't wait to see the, the photos if they come through. Yeah. The good, the, I think the cool thing about that is just hearing that people are taking the penances seriously. You know, we had Teddy who followed through with his. I did not shower in hot water for 10 days and tried to avoid boiling water at all costs. Like, I'm happy to see that these uh, these penances are being taken to heart and we're going to have to supply a new one today because we've got a sin. Let's hear it. a sinner. All right, okay. let's hear it. Danny Johnson, Buck, hope you guys are good. Love the show. Just wanted to share a surf sin that I, I may or may not have committed with you guys. So yeah, four or five years ago, I had finished college, done some traveling, 
was living at home uh, on the east coast of the U.S., just sort of doing odd jobs and, you know, just surfing as much as I could. And, you know, that was kind of the main focus of my life, you know, just chasing waves and whatnot. And I had an opportunity to move to Los Angeles to pursue a quote-unquote career in uh, set design and, and set building for, you know, commercials and photo shoots and stuff. And, you know, it's been cool. Like, it's definitely been good financially, and the, the work's been in, been interesting. But, um, you know, as I sit here on the freeway in traffic going to surf, what will more than likely be pretty crowded and not a whole ton of fun, uh, Malibu, um, I can't help but wonder is giving up the, you know, as Jed Smith says, core lord, cone fiend, degenerate lifestyle, is giving that up uh, a surf sin? Is, is you know, losing the, the full surf focused, 100% surf centric, uh, surf centric lifestyle, is that a sin? That is a story that I'm afraid is, is all too common. What do you make of that? Okay, so this reminds me of like, you know, when when somebody's been working a certain job for like 40 years, you know, it's their whole career, their whole life, and then it comes time for retirement. And even though they've got it all sorted, they just, they stop that job and it's like part of them dies and they might even encounter some health issues. Like, you know, you hear about oh, these people just like- dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm pretty much what I'm trying to say is that if this guy continues to live this way, he will be dead within two years. Um, <laughs> wow. Unless, unless maybe Kelly is around. If he has the ability to kind of stalk Kelly Slater and make sure he's always around him, that could be prevented. But I do think a way for this guy to not die is some people do like a spa day. Every time they feel like they need to relax, they just mm-hmm. kind of treat themselves. What this guy needs to do is just, I'll let him pick the cadence, but I'd say once a month, maybe whatever he's happy with is just completely indulge in that side of him that he thinks is kind of going away. The things that he used to do, like doesn't have to skip work or anything you do on the weekend, but just do whatever the old version of him used to do for an entire day, surf all day, smoke bongs. I don't fucking care. But just make sure you keep that part of you alive because the further you get away from that, the harder it will be to revive it. And it will die if you don't kind of nurture it like Noah Dean's hair in your garden. So that is my penance to to this gentleman. Mm. What do you think? Well, my brain just immediately went a bit Freudian. Actually, I don't even know if it was Freud who had this theory that linked everything to sex but I was kind of just thinking like why does anyone go and work so much and it's typically maybe to do what all humans are at their core trying to do which is procreate uh, or or not even procreate but just find uh, sex and companionship either with the the opposite sex or the same sex whatever your flavor and so I think in my head it was just like he went he took this job for money which in turn would then lead to sex. And so I think essentially his penis tricked him uh, into Mm. a lifestyle that isn't that fun. And so I think Mm. in order to correct this, that he needs to abstain from all sexual pleasure in any way, shape or form for a month, which will then return a sort of manic energy back into his body. You know, like fighters don't fight the night before a prize fight or the day before a prize fight. I mean, and you just magnify that over a whole month. He's going to have so much pent up energy. He's going to find ways to get to the ocean. You know, when you, 
you're just clawing to surf and you have this incredible froth. And I think that will somehow be a punishment in a sense, but it will also be a solution to his... Because if he's just, you know, if he's just sitting in traffic, he's... he's He's dulled down, and he might be satisfied on some in some areas of his life, but he's he doesn't sound happy to me, Buck. He doesn't sound happy. You're right. Okay, I like yours. Would you be willing to kind of meet me? Maybe not quite in the middle, but maybe combine them. Like kick it off with this month of uh, no sex, and then go into a system where you know he he kind of brings that other side of him, that old side of him out, would you be into kind of combining? I love that. Okay. I love that. What would the old yeah. self be, Buck? What, what do you've got in mind? Uh, I mean, you mentioned smoking bongs, surfing. That's kind of how I read, like, this. the guy, I, I heard that and I just pictured this guy's friends are just doing that. They're just smoking weed and surfing and not really caring about much and just kind of getting by in life. And he's like, why the fuck am I out here in LA sitting in traffic worrying about shit? Well, these guys are just objectively happier than me. Yeah. You know? Objectively happier. Far out. That's a deep, deep statement. Yeah. But I don't know. Let's hope that this guy doesn't die. Like I said, I'm giving him two years unless he sorts it out. Uh, two years max. <laughs> Could be two months. I don't know. <laughs> so do the penance and uh, stay alive. Yeah. It's just that simple. Live a, live a healthy, full, balanced life. There's been evidence. There's been the drop podcast. There's been different uh, surf sins and penances, penances that have been. You uh, had almost Freudian slip there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking penances, penances, penances that have uh, allowed some proof, uh, photographic evidence, the written letter from Teddy. We didn't get to see you shower, unfortunately, but if we can see some evidence of of this guy living his living out his, his youth, perhaps, uh, that would be great. So any, any evidence is always well, any physical evidence, photos, etc. any proof is always welcome with surf scene. So please provide those where applicable. Yeah. And if you do want to see me shower, just go. Uh, I've worked out a deal with uh, com. <laughs> I've got my own little subsection on there. So go check it out. Subscribe. Uh, be sure to subscribe to Stab Premium. This podcast is brought to you by the Conan Hayes Legal Fund, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, Big Pharma, and Stab Premium. Please be sure to support all of them. Um, in that order, will, too. In that order. Uh, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Bach. Please send your surf sins in. We love them. We, we want more. Our email's in the episode description. Daddy at stabmag.com. Buck at stabmag.com and now let's talk about the US Open or the US Pro or hopefully maybe even again the OP Pro. What did OP stand for? I guess. Well done, Stacy. Well done. Just had to open this episode of the Stab Cusp. That's the currently untitled surf podcast with a round of applause for my co-host Stace Galbraith who called both of the winning surfers in the U.S. Open this year, Katie Simmers and Griffin Colapinto. Cut to the clip. But for the win, um, I think Griffin is probably 
pretty fired up to win an event after uh, just falling outside the top five. So I'm going to go with Griffin in the men. And then on the women's side, yeah, I think Katie Simmons looked pretty gnarly this morning, so I'll go with her. All right, Stacey. So how did you know? How did you know that Katie and Griffin were going to come out on top from a field of 96 and 48, respectively? To be fair, I think we called it after round one. So we can't can't give me all the, the chocolates there. Um, I will take some chocolates, though, because it was still pretty early in the event. Uh, but with Griffin, I just think he had blood in his sights because he missed out on surfing the top five at Trestles, home break. He would have been pretty disappointed after that. So I think for him to, to come back and uh, put all of his focus into what looked like one hell of a movie tour with Brother and the gang to then a US Open win, um, I think not making the final five at Trestles is probably a distant memory now. And then with Katie, she just looks so confident. Cutting through the middle of that break is not an easy thing to do. Um, the amount of people that you see coming through to the inside just looking nervous before they hit their end section uh, is pretty much most surfers out there. And she just looks so confident and strong and, and really smooth. And she's got an epic style. And I think that, um, yeah, the US Open's got a weird way of picking young winners. So I, I was pretty stoked to see her win. That's right. Yeah, I think Katie is not the youngest female winner. Uh, Malia Manuel won when she was 14, which I'm sure you know all about. Yeah, I was actually, I did do a quick Google there. I wondered if Malia would hang on to the title. And yeah, Katie's uh, 15, I think, maybe turning 16 this year. So um, still super young, though. That's crazy. Yeah, and the maturity that she carried into this event is really what struck me. Like, as you said, it was kind of noticeable in a physical sense, just in her demeanor and her body language when she was pumping through that middle section. Whereas some surfers looked, you know, kind of frantic and spazzed out and hopping and waving their arms and everything. She was just like cruising, like almost S-turning through it. And um, and even, I mean, if you look back to her semi against Courtney Conlog, you know, she she waited for, I think, 15 minutes or whatever to get her first wave. And then she needed a three for like the remainder of the heat. And she just wouldn't budge. She wouldn't take off on anything that didn't look like what she wanted. And she ends up taking off on a complete closeout with one section out the back. And granted, needing a three, she probably could have just done a little floater or whitewater tap and would have been fine. But she goes 12 o'clock and throws the fins out. Um, so just absolutely brimming with confidence skill is obviously through the roof and to think that this girl was just down with us in costa rica a few months ago competing in stab high ladybirds and you know she was a former ladybird champion in the year prior it's just wild like we you know we had her grouped with the best whatever 15 and under girls in the world and she obviously was like a huge standout like her surfing is well beyond her years super mature and you know skillful and stylish and everything but to think that she could go from that to beating you know ct veterans in the u.s open and winning the biggest qs event of the year is mind-blowing yeah she'd be on on top of the world right now and i think uh a lot it needs to be said for that stab high uh ladybirds program um Creating positive environments is something that all athletes benefit from no matter what age. And I don't think that it could be a more positive environment for uh, a young female surfer in, in the current era. To have them all surfing together, 
and having the main point of the contest to be progression to then see that come over to the QS and the more standardised competition um, yeah I think that there's yeah, a pat on the back there for, for that program and, and everyone that sort of puts their hard work in to, to make that happen I know that a lot of these young surfers they train really hard and they have great coaches and they're getting filmed a lot and everything like that but creating alternative events that then work towards the same goal is um, uh, you know creating alternative events that then you can bring back into the mainstream I think is that was it in, in showcase right there so yeah, well done, Stab High Ladybirds. <laughs> yes, we love our ladybirds, and uh, we might be at risk of losing one, it would seem. Katie Simmers is currently sitting in second place in the Women's Challenger Series rankings. But interestingly enough, when she won this event in her posted interview, she said that she wasn't trying to qualify. It wasn't even on her mind. Um, but she is going to Europe. She's, if not already, on her way to Portugal. And she will be competing in those events. And I don't know exactly where the cut line will be for the women with six slots and only four events. And, or I guess they only count three events, um, but there's four events to surf in overall. I would have to imagine the number can't be much higher than maybe 15 or 16 or so. And I mean, Katie basically is a couple decent results away from that right now. So if she carries the same sort of surfing she had in Huntington over there. I think she'll get them pretty easily. And then she'll have a really big decision to make as to whether or not she wants to accept that CT spot at just 15 or she might be 16 actually by the time that, uh, that all transpires. But yeah, do you have any initial thoughts on whether that would be kind of the right move for her? I think it all depends on, you know, how comfortable your, home network is and and your support crew because once you start traveling the world uh on the world tour um that can feel like a distant memory so yeah if she's got i know she's got a you know a good a good uh good family background and and travels and serves with her brother a lot and family look all cool to be hanging out and supporting down the beach and stuff like that so if there's a an opportunity where she can bring her you know coach and family and, and 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 you know team managers and that on the road with her I think that's a, a huge thing and anything to make her feel comfortable because at 16 the world tour it's um it's the real deal uh there's a big jump from the QS to the CT but the women definitely develop a, a bit earlier than the men we've obviously seen that with Caroline Marks and and um basically the the average age of the women's tour is is really young so yeah it's um going to be uh an interesting one to see how that all that all plays out i heard you've been speaking to taj what's his what's his take yeah so i actually got some insights from the two people who i would say are closest to this situation uh one being taj burrow who famously turned down a qualifying slot when i think he was 16 or 17 and of course later uh, requalified and uh, entered the tour. And Caroline Marks, who is the youngest surfer ever to qualify, she qualified at 15 years old and started the CT when she was 16. So um, yeah, I chatted with Caroline and her take was, you know, she wouldn't change uh, joining the tour that young. She said that she, it was still the right decision for her, even though she was so young. Obviously, like you said, she has a great support system as well, which is really 
the only thing that matters when you're that young going into like an adult space realistically. Um, she said that the one thing is like, you know, the first year it was maybe a little bit alienating, not so much, um, because of the age gap necessarily, because as you said, kind of young women mature a lot uh, quicker than young men, but it was more that a lot of the women who were on the CT or even the ones who qualified in her uh, grouping, they were of an older generation, you know, whereas the, the Carissas and the Malias and them, and they graduated at, at a similar time, at a similar age, and, and they'd grown up surfing together. Nobody from Caroline's age bracket from when she was a kid was also graduating to the CT. So she didn't have that little buffer of like a freshman crew. You know what I mean? She was straight into it with the sophomores and the juniors and the seniors on the women tour. So, um, but she said after a year, it was totally fine. And again, she doesn't regret it. On the other hand, after a year, she was decimating all of them and it was totally fine. (laughs) And then on the other hand, we have Taj Burrow and... Taj, when I asked him, he said, I wouldn't change a thing about declining my place on the tour. I was 17, didn't feel ready to commit to the big boys tour yet. I think Katie should absolutely just cruise and enjoy being a 15-year-old. No need to rush into the tour. She surfs so good and will qualify whenever she wishes. The tour looks like a shit fight anyway with limited events and difficult travel restrictions. So I'd say she should just enjoy surfing, let the world sort out its shit, and do whatever makes her happy. Her career will fall into place no matter what. Um, and I think that's also great advice. Um, I, I couldn't say one is better than the other because I don't know what Katie's mindset is, but um, it sounds like regardless of what she decides, there will hopefully be a kind of safety net for her there. Such lovely father advice there from Taj. I think, um, I hope she, you should send her a copy of that. That's brilliant. Um I never would say this, but in a regular season, but given that the year next year is only five events, she could kind of dip her toes in and just see and and kind of go, well, I'm going to do five events uh, if I qualify. And then I have the ultimatum is made for me in a way. And it's made pretty quick. It's sort of like, if I find my feet quickly in these first few events, I'm going to stay on and I'll do the rest of the year or I fall off and I just jump back on the QE and what probably would have done anyway. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting scenario. And of course she's still got to make a few more heats to qualify. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, not the first time we've seen a youngster have to make this big decision. Well, actually that's really interesting though, the way that you put that, like I never considered that. So as we know, the tour next year, it's 10 events, but there's a cutoff after the fifth one. And that cutoff serves to not only make the tour smaller for the back half of the year, but that's also the qualification line. So if you make that cut, you're good. So in theory, say Katie surfed those five events and she kind of like just squeaked in to the cut line so she could surf in the next year's tour but she also didn't want to necessarily keep going. Could you just not do those last five events? Like, is that an option? Wow, that's something I never thought of, but that could be, like, the biggest power move ever. Like, oh, I've made it, but I still know I need to improve here, so I'm going to flag these events and I'm going to go and spend, you know, three months in Tahiti. I'll catch you guys later, and then I'll see you in 2023. Yeah. (laughs) 
Huh. I well, bet the WSL well, wouldn't I mean, be very happy. They probably have fines in place to limit that sort of behavior. But who's to say she doesn't get a little toe injury? You know, enough to surf on, but not enough to compete on. <laughs> I love this. We're, we're definitely getting pretty far ahead of ourselves here. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. So anyway, Katie, do whatever you want. We'd love to see you on the tour, but we'd also love to see you continue being an awesome uh, child, really. You're 15 years old, so just enjoy your childhood above all else. Don't make any adult decisions if you don't want to, and uh, you'll be on tour whenever you want, as Taj said. So I'm not too sure what Katie was riding at that event, but I did notice a lot of the men uh, were riding round tails. Kolohe, Griff, Kanoa. I know Liam O'Brien had a round tail DNA getting around. And it had me a little perplexed. Uh, what, what did you make of all that? Uh, the only time I ride round tails is in Hawaii, uh, which is pretty much the opposite of Huntington-esque conditions. So, yeah, you can color me befuddled. <laughs> I had to give the sensei, Darren Hanley, a call to make sense of it for me because... To be honest, it wasn't the first time I'd seen a lot of round tails getting used. Um, Carissa was on a round tail a fair bit through the Australian leg of the CT this uh, this year, uh, through Newcastle and, uh, and Narrabeen. And um, look, straight up, Darren said they're the unsung hero of tail design, and he, he really rates them. And um, the way he no, kind of put it to me... Swallowtail is the unsung hero. He loves here. a swallow too. He does. He, he makes a lot of swallows in his, in some of his step-ups that he loves. So, yeah, he, he's right on board with those two tail designs. But he thinks that the, the round tail actually has a, a lot, of, lot of merit, and he's been making a lot more recently. And um, he basically put it down to the surfers getting better at surfing as a whole over the last few seasons. Um, he kind of explained it to me that the design reacts a lot quicker because there's sort of less surface area there at the at the tail and that basically it makes sense to me when you when you put it like that he said you're going to catch a little more with more surface area and uh, and a wider kind of squash tail there's more foam pushing through the water but if you can keep that width through the tail like a groveler has and then pull it into a round tail uh that's when it started to make more sense for me. Yeah, so it's just kind of taking those little corners off to, I guess, eliminate some, I don't know, some some friction points. Because, you, you know, in, in theory, a squash tail is going to pivot a bit more and a round tail is going to have a bit more arc to it. But I guess there's also just an aspect of like, yeah, there's just less foam to catch on the water. So if you're good enough at surfing, uh, you can probably do whatever you want with it. Exactly. And then he, he also mentioned it too, the surfers starting to turn using the rocker more to generate their speed rather than just the fins and the tail block. So yeah, I guess there's a lot to it there. A lot, lot of um, experimenting going on and it certainly worked a good effect for, for the crew that we mentioned there. They all had really big results. So yeah, I think though there is you've got to note that there's a difference between I think the tail that these guys are riding and the tail you're describing with say a Hawaii quiver and I think I would probably say what the crew are riding in the smaller waves at the moment looks more like a thumb tail it's not not super pulled in it's not like a classic round tail that you would see in a step up or something like that so there's still that lot of width through through the fins and, and, and through the bottom third of the board and then, yeah, like Darren said, it just pulls in at the end and just helps you with that reaction time. And 
ultimately makes for a good grobler. And from there, you can fuck around with your fins and shit like that too. And But yeah. so is this something that applies to the you know, average punter, or should we just stick with what we know? I definitely think it's something that could apply to the average punter if they had the the time to, to figure it out. Um, well, I think that actually the Neckbeard 3 basically has a thumb tail. They obviously had the super square fat tail on the Neckbeard 2, but they've brought it in um, a little bit, which I think is, you know, to facilitate some sharper surfing. Uh, and it's been getting some pretty good reviews from what I can hear from the team riders. So yeah, maybe this is the next revolution. It's tails, thumb tails, the ugliest tail, but our maybe world the champion effective. is very keen on a thumb tail. Mr. Gabriel Medina has a lot in his quiver, mm. but moving over to Portugal, we will not be seeing many thumb tails out Ribeira de Ilhas. It'll be, it'll be pin tails. <laughs> the f- It'll be pintails. It's going to be massive. It's going to be, be pretty big over there and pretty pumping. So uh, I'm looking forward to that starting. Um, much better time zone for us Australians. What about what about you in the States? Yeah, we can. I mean, it obviously starts early for us, but we can usually catch the back half of the day. Or at least, well, I live on the East Coast, so it's easier for me. I guess Californians are going to have a bit of a struggle trying to catch the last few uh, heats, but... Uh, I don't know. This this wave is not particularly exciting to me. It's a you know it's a good competitive venue in general terms. It picks up a lot of swell. It provides you know plenty of open face to do turns. But it's kind of like if Bells and J Bay had some really off colored baby. Um, and yeah, it's just a bit soft, a bit sectiony, but. It, you know, there's going to be waves and there's going to be some really good surfers and therefore there's going to be some really good surfing. <laughs> that was a very good scientific equation. Um, no, you're right though. It's definitely going to be a battle of fitness. I think that who's been training in their off season was definitely going to show because, um, you know, it could mean the difference between you riding an extra wave in your heat or not. Cause when it gets big, your opportunity is so limited uh, once you once you decide to commit to a wave and ride it all the way through, um, it's a pretty solid lineup and a pretty solid paddle back out. So, yeah, it's it's going to be more like an Ironman. Oh, and I feel that in my bones because I'm just coming off an injury myself and probably could have done a bit more in the uh, training department in that time. Instead, I kind of just took sorrow in myself and uh, went golfing. But I've just this week come back and I've been board testing a bit out in California and oh my God, I can't remember ever being this like physically exhausted. Like I surfed lowers for a couple hours the other day and I felt like I was going to die. So um, yeah, hopefully these boys are in a bit better shape and I hope that this is not a sign of like age for me. Like I'm pretty terrified that like, oh, this is just the new normal now. This is how you are as a human being because it sucks. Do you want the good news or the bad news? Oh, God. Give me the bad news first. There is no good news. That's the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Any unsolicited <laughs> advice, Mikey, for these QS hopefuls, men and women, leading into this big event? R- ride your thumbtails. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Just commit to your thumbtails. Oh, no, I had a bit of a... You see it everywhere around the world. The comp bank is here, and either a wave like Trestle's is just down the road or in Portugal here we have Cocious and then across from Cocious you have Crazy Left and none of those waves are the comp bank there's only one comp bank 
<laughs> you can't win your heat out, coaches, because the comp's not there. So get out the bells wave and do your cutties and win the comp. On your thumbtails. Commit to your thumbtails. Get your chubby anchors. Cubby anchors? Chubby anchors? Or go and get a cemento. <laughs> go and get a Portuguese knifed out. Pukas. Or a pukas. I think they're more from the Basque country, right? Pukas. Yeah, it's all the same. Oh, careful there. The Basque are coming for you, mate. You should, you should know better. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. What about what about some winners in the men's and women's side? All right. So I'm, uh, I think I'm going to stick with my Japanese trend, but on the women's side this time. And I'm going with Amuro Suzuki. She's, uh, she's just coming off still that huge medal in the Olympics. And she has got some really strong legs that I think are going to be the key to success at a wave like this. And then on the men's, I'm going Crosby Colapinto. I think uh, Crosby is due for a major result in a big contest. And I also think his surfing is about as strong as it gets on the face for the QS. So, yeah, I'm expecting some big things from the cross. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go Betty Lou Sakura Johnson for the women. Um, I think she's got got what it takes to win one of these comps, basically. Uh, coming from Hawaii and uh, being a natural footer out there, I think it's a, a big advantage. So, oh, but then again, as you say that, people do backside turns pretty easily these days and get big scores. But, yeah, I definitely like the way that she surfs. And then for the men... I'm going to go with Aiden Mason Camp from South Africa. He had an interview. Whoa, huge call. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go with a big wild card there, but not really. He had an interview at the U.S. Open where he was just so dead serious, and I loved it. That's the kind of focus that I'm chasing. <laughs> I wish I was that focused. <laughs> and I just think the kid who's training that hard and trying that hard, he's due to spike a result at some point. So maybe this is it for him. He's, he's incredible out J-Bay and um, he's got, you know, the, the surfing to match that wave. So, yeah, we'll see how we go. All right. And then uh, so that's the second of four Ultimate Challenger Series events this year <laughs> that will determine... <laughs> who uh, reaches the CT. <laughs> um, and it's looking like the fourth event is potentially in peril. That's, of course, the Haliva event. And the reason I say that is a Sunset 1000 event just got canceled. And that was scheduled for, I believe, just before Haliva, or maybe it's just after. But either way, the WSL called that off due to some COVID-related reason. And they said that they're doing everything in their power to make sure that the Holly Eva event still happens. Um, but should it not? Wow, this little qualification window just got even smaller. Yeah, didn't it what? Um, that is huge news. Uh, I also know that a event, the Hawaiian Ironman, or one of those events in that series over there, got cancelled as well at a similar time. And I know that, um, you know, that's a that's a pretty pretty big deal. So it's a, it's a uh, I don't want to say it, but it's looking dicey. Uh, but getting back to the season in general, if, even if Hadley Eva was going to run, this is the event. If you're a QS hopeful, this event right here is the event that you can really lock yourself in for next year all right so that's portugal and we'll see how that plays out over the next few days um and we'll be back you know i think 
I don't know if it'll be done by next week, so maybe we'll be on the week after to discuss the winners of that event as we're keeping a close eye on the qualification race for 2022. So, uh, yeah, until next time, this was the Stab Cut. Stace, see you later. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Stace. The analytical masterminds of competition of surfboards and the future apparently stays calling the winners which is pretty goddamn impressive but can he do it again only time will tell thanks for listening and see you next week isn't there a slight contradiction you mentioned the the moon and the tides Mr. Foster, and at the earlier part of the interview, you talked about the tide sweeping over the earth. Well, there is no contradiction there, because the axis of the earth suddenly tilts over. And when this happens, then you get the floods of the Bible, which were recorded before.